I said it before, I will say it again. You know this because you've heard me. I love Madison Remix, and I especially love it when they take snippets from their columns and they create intros and outros and bumpers and drops, and I especially love when I get to be included in that. So here is their latest, which I am in, which I just love. It just cracks me up. Madison Remix, you will not believe this. You will not believe this because I don't believe this. working up in here baby they gave me a call back and i fangirled about it i geeked out i was like oh my god oh my god it is the remix guys the medicine remix guys y'all already know i'm like a huge bad girl of medicine remix and literally everything they do and then i come listen to your station the king girl this is so good I'd love to share it with people, or I'd love to keep it for future reference. And I thought, right, who can I tweet it to? Yeah, if you need a little help with that Twitter game, do let me know. <laughs> hey guys, it's Patrick, just calling in to say really, really loved your last segment uh, that I heard. I don't know what it is about it, but it was just really powerful, including the, the way it was put together, the remixing, it was just beautiful, I loved it. Oh my gosh, I love the new drop. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Medicine Remix. Medicine Remixed. Medicine Remix. Medicine Remix. Press that star under the applause button to favorite the station and hear the satisfying sound of showing us love. Medicine Remixed. Only on Anchor. Yo, what up, Anchor? This is D. Hope everybody's doing well on this lovely day. Just checking in on folks and wanted to share with you that we are currently in the works for a new audio topsy that's right i'm just about to upload the first episode it's a five parter which is a bit long and they're getting longer and i don't know if that's a good thing uh, i want to keep them short and sweet this one in particular is a sort of historical look on a topic brought up by uh, one of my favorite artists jay-z on his new album 444 so i hope you guys enjoy it i'll upload a couple segments now i'm still working on mixing down the last two segments so those will come throughout the day i hope you guys enjoy them i hope everybody's doing well i would love your feedback particularly about the length of them the depth of them the breadth of them all that shit um and whether you you know like them or hate them I, both criticisms uh, are important for me to hear so anyway i hope everybody's doing well i love y'all thanks for listening and Peace. On June 30th, 2017, the rapper Jay-Z, real name Sean Carter, released his 13th solo album titled 444. And one of the songs on that album titled Smile proved to be his mother, Gloria Carter's, somewhat of a coming out party, if you will, as Jay-Z in his lyrics openly shared, for the first time on record anyway, that his mother was in fact gay. Which if we're honest, isn't a big deal. But I think it had something to do with the fact that we were within the hip hop culture. And not only within the hip hop culture, we were dealing with one of hip hop's icons. And hip hop has traditionally anyway, or at least labeled anti-gay. And a very strong 
feeling of machismo has always followed the hip-hop genre. Some of it self-imposed, others I think magnified, justly or unjustly sometimes from the outside. And of course, when this happened, it sent most people digging in the crates to pull up lines of Jay-Z making anti-homosexual comments. For example, the lyrics in the track, Lucky Me. Meanwhile, other cited tracks like Heart of the City. Now, personally, I'm no more inclined to believe Jay was anti-gay than I am to believe that Lil Wayne was really a Martian. We are not the same, I am a Martian, and I'm had it as a Moraine. Or that Eminem killed Superman. Between him and Lex Luthor, I killed Superman, I killed Superman, and how ironic. Now, all that being said, I will say this. I was hypersensitive to the fact that on his previous album, The Holy Grail, Jay-Z included an artist by the name of Frank Ocean on the album, which I remember thinking was interesting because at the time, Frank Ocean had just came out of the closet, if you will, and announced he was gay to the public. And I remember part of me thinking like, hmm, I wonder if Jay-Z is going to, I don't know, take offense to it or feel like it's a bad look for the album that he has a guy who's openly homosexual on his album. Again, in this culture of hip hop where there's a lot of bravado and machismo. And if you don't know, there's been this sort of um behind the scenes rumor of the gay rapper if you listen to a lot of songs from the early 90s well on through the 90s people made references you know as little sly comments about knowing who the gay rapper was or accusing somebody of being the gay rapper that's how prominent it was within the culture that being gay was just wrong and that being gay within hip-hop was not cool so if you get a chance for a long time and it bounced around on who was the gay rapper ll cool j for a while was the one and then it was eric sermon from epmd so all these undertones i remember thinking huh i wonder what that's gonna do for jay and when i picked up the new album 444 i saw Frank Ocean on there again before I even heard the album. So I thought, huh, interesting. He has him on there again. He's obviously cool with it. That's cool. Jay-Z is, I think, putting a message out there that, you know, he's comfortable with this. And I remember being very, very surprised when I then heard the track with Jay's mom on it and Jay's verse. And before we actually listen to Jay's verse, I actually want to point out that he's not the first rapper to come out and speak about his mother being gay. For some of you, you might remember that Hate It or Love It, the track off of the Games album featuring 50 Cent. 50 Cent gives a quick bar about it right in the beginning of the track and he's came out and done it in interviews he's talked about it but um you know here's a quick throwback uh-huh so again, only a hint of it in that line from 50, but nonetheless, the concept wasn't new, right? Um, but the thing that really struck me about Jay's verse was his reference to his mother and the anguish she went through in having to hide this fact that she was gay. And I want to say she's in her 60s. If you think about it, it's fucking awful. You know, if somebody were to ask me today to just stop being attracted to women and any thought that I have about being attracted to women suppress it don't talk about it hide it would i'd be fucking miserable so you know the just that alone was the aspect i wanted to hone in on this episode of audio topsy so let's hear that verse Push through the pain so we can see new life. So all the ladies having babies see a sacrifice. Mama had four kids, but she's a lesbian. Had to pretend so long that she's a despian. Had to hide in the closet so she medicate. Society shame and the pain was too much to take. Cry tears of joy when you fell in love. Don't matter to me if it's a him or her. I just wanna see you smile through all the hate. Maria Antoinette, baby, let her meet Kate. Bad times turn to good memories. Smile. Even when I'm gone and you remember me. Smile. Good times never fade away. Smile. Even if I'm not with you here today. Smile. Good morning. 
For those of you just joining us, this is part two of our audio topsy of Jay-Z's track Smile off the album 444. And as I mentioned before, the part I want to emphasize is Jay's concentration on the idea of stigma and social stigma around being gay, in his mom's case being a lesbian. I think part of my fascination with that as his particular scope for that verse is that he could have took a lot of different avenues and he chose to focus on the social stigma forcing her to suppress those feelings and it wasn't until late adulthood that she was able to fully express herself and be comfortable enough doing so and he cites her falling in love and how to him it didn't matter if it was a male or female as long as she was happy and in love which is a pretty powerful thing and that of course got me thinking about stigma but in particular as it relates to medicine so I wanted to take you all on a what I found fascinating, although it's going to be quick and abbreviated for you all, um, history of homosexuality within psychiatry and within medicine. The views, the takes, the evolution, and some pretty interesting shit. So buckle up. Okay, first, I must say, a lot of what you're about to hear is an adaptation from a speech given by Dr. Jack Dressner. He's a doctor, psychiatrist, and psychoanalyst uh, in private practice out in New York City. He is a distinguished fellow at the American Psychiatric Association. He's the past president of the Group for Advancement of Psychiatry and a past president of the APA's New York County Psychiatric Society. A real all-around badass. He gave a talk, I want to say in Pennsylvania in about 2012, titled Fighting Back, Defending the LGBT Mind and Body. And although I understand this is a very big reach for me to try to cover all these things in one sitting, let's just jump right in. And I think starting off with distinguishing the theories of sexuality into the big three the three general storylines if you will as it pertains to human sexuality number one is that there is a normal variation meaning there is a normal variation of human sexuality number two is that there's a distinct pathology meaning something's wrong and number three was the view of immaturity implying that if somebody wasn't quote normal that they were immature and not fully developed a lot of these things started to come to light in the mid 1800s. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that there was a transition going on, right? Western culture was now evolving into science and medicine more than it had previously relied on religion. And part of that was manifesting itself by culture turning what used to be a sin into an illness. Because what science was attempting to do was reject these traditional moral categories that were used to govern people's lives of what's right and what's wrong and replace that with what they felt was evidence because at the core what science searches for is the cause of deviance forces that are beyond the control of the person right like genetics or an organic cause so what started happening is you saw things that started to take on scientific meanings that used to have more religious meanings for example people who were demonically possessed at one time now were considered to be insane drunkenness we called it alcoholism because in aa you don't drink because you're a bad person, right? You drink 
because you're a person who suffers from alcoholism. And at the same time, you have already in place this idea of gender beliefs, right? Within cultures, there was ideas of what it meant to be a man and what it meant to be a woman, right? There were essential qualities built into the fabric of society. And a lot of those things are still around today, right? The idea that there was only two sexes as options, right? Male or female. And that what are now referred to as binary gender roles, that there were only options of being a man or a woman and each of those encompassed ways to act ways to be right uh, the man doesn't cry at the recital or that or that the woman doesn't express her anger because that would be unwomanly right so that was built in already all the while science is trying to now infiltrate this once previously religion dominated society and around mid 1800s a man named Karl Erlreich I believe his name was it was a German writer and is really considered to be the pioneer of modern gay rights movements he coined the term yearning I believe it is and the idea was that he was identifying a woman quote a woman spirit trapped in a man's body and i'm not sure if it was him but later in around 1869 is about the time you see homosexuality start to show up in the literature as an actual term so just like drunkenness became alcoholism sodomy became homosexuality and i guess although some of this can sound sort of like blah whatever you have to understand that this was a time when there wasn't just youtube there wasn't wikipedia these guys were identifying things and putting it into quote-unquote technical terms and including it in the medical literature now almost like redefining what it was to be human If you're just joining us, this is part three of our audio topsy breakdown of Jay-Z's song Smile off the 444 album. And where we left off was the split between the authority of the church waning and the rise of the modern state, where there was an odd period of time in which the religious norms and people who adhered to them on the thoughts and ideas behind homosexual practices continued to sort of be the predominant stand within the law of the land. At the same time, science was creeping in on that territory. And in 1886, the German psychiatrist Richard von Kraft Ebbing authored the first book, Psychopathia Sexualis. And this is considered one of the first books ever to be written about sexual pathology. And the book covered a wide range of paraphilias with a special emphasis on male homosexuality. But aside from being considered one of the first books within the genre and the earliest works on homosexuality, the reason this book's worth emphasizing is because von Kraft Ebbing actually incorporated a theory by a guy named Benedict Morel. And Benedict Morel had this theory of disease and he concluded that most homosexuals have a mental illness caused by degenerate heredity and in the 19th century this was considered an actual legitimate theory and the idea was that society was in decline and becoming less complex being dumbed down regressing again based on the premise that certain social classes and races were predisposed to various neurological and mental illnesses due to bad heredity and it would result in social degeneration now keep in mind this theory of neurology was formed before they even knew what a synapse was. So the basic fundamental building block of neurology hadn't even been discovered, but yet this theory was being propped up as the most prominent theory at the time. And although it almost sounds forgiving and almost a bit generous, what they were saying was not that people were born gay. Instead, what they were saying was that people who were gay had a genetic defect. Pretty big difference. Now, obviously, this is early on in the history of science, so it makes sense that there wasn't a whole lot of hardcore basic science to back up a lot of these theories. So a lot of just that theories came to light. And one of those theories involved less of a genetic component to it and more a social component. And that would be in about the early 1900s with Sigmund Freud, 
A lot of you remember the name because of things like the Freudian slip that we all refer to when we say one thing but meant another, right? So Freud, considered by most, if not all, to be the godfather of psychoanalysis, and he himself was a psychiatrist, instead, he rejected this third sex theory, you know, somebody that was sort of outside, a new species that hadn't been identified, if you will, outside of just a man or a woman. He rejected that, and he argued that the degeneracy theory wasn't true because homosexuality was found in people with the highest form of moral development. It was found in the ancient Greeks at the height of civilization, and it was also found in primitive cultures. So it couldn't be a degeneration if it was found at the highest levels and the lowest levels. So he rejected that. But let's be clear, he also didn't feel that homosexuality was entirely quote unquote normal either. It was what Freud called developmental arrest. Not quite a mental illness, but also not quite normal. In short, his argument was this that everybody was born with bisexual feelings and that it was normal when you were young to have an expression of those feelings, but when you grew up, that shit was not cool. And those people who became a homosexual didn't do a good enough job or weren't shown how to sublimate those feelings, meaning they weren't shown how to transform those feelings into a more socially acceptable form. And his idea was that those feelings should not be mixed in with adult relationships. If you do it, it's okay because it's a developmental arrest. So he was sort of giving people a reason as to why they were gay, but it was sort of like calling them childish, right? Saying they weren't developed and what they needed to do was sort of be coached into development. And he felt that that was only something that could be done through psychoanalysis. And interestingly, even within the male and female differentiation of homosexuality, there was a difference. He felt that homosexuality in men was neurotic but not particularly a problem. Lesbianism, however, he felt was something that was a gateway to mental illness. His feeling was that only men had a quote unquote moral sense. And because of that, boys acquired morality through something he called a castration complex. And we won't get into all that, but it was this idea that men are always fear of being emasculated by their fathers. Women, on the other hand, Freud believed that lesbianism was always the fault of the father and is curable only by psychoanalysis. Interestingly enough, Freud's daughter, Anna, was a lesbian. So he highly recommended that there shouldn't be a relationship between the analyst and the person being analyzed because he said those would be erotic feelings. He provided psychoanalysis for his daughter for a very long time. So keep in mind, here's a guy with a daughter who's lesbian and he's kind of painting this picture where he is not calling it normal, but not calling it okay either. Interesting. All right, this is part four of our audio topsy breakdown of Jay-Z's track Smile on the album 444. Where we left off was at the impasse of science, particularly psychiatry and psychology, are starting to offer up theories about homosexuality. And this all brewed out of this stew that was evaporating off the influence of the church, but there was still a stronghold on the church's influence into public policy and law. So science was trying to establish a more, obviously, scientific basis for people's behaviors and you get all these theories starting to emerge and even though a lot of them are discredited now because they had no real scientific basis here's why we should appreciate it's because it forced the conversation to be had now analyzing somebody's sexuality in the late 1800s it's akin to 
somebody who is into porn, right? If you know somebody who's a porn producer, legitimate career by most standards, right? He pays taxes, he's a professional, he has a studio, he has clients, has employees. He's by all means an upstanding citizen doing something that maybe not everybody's okay with. So if you think about it, these guys really put their careers on the line to even talk about something that at one time was just guarded so closely as taboo. So it's important that we appreciate that. That's just something I wanted to throw out there because it feels like at least lately there's been a lot of these topics about the idea of sexuality and, and gender pronouns and all those things and I, people act like you can't talk about these things you can't debate about these things why not you know i guess that's a philosophical question more for the jordan petersons of the world you know for patrick over there on the great everything station maybe you guys should run that by him those that's for the deep thinkers I'm, I'm curious as to why some things are just made oh we can't talk about them that's the only way we make progress not just letting something be right exploring it understanding it anyway back to the topic at hand let's fast forward to the 1950s not a whole lot has been confirmed but there's been a whole lot proposed so there's sort of this weak scaffolding this weak understanding of what homosexuality is and what to do about it if anything and in 1962 one of the best known studies at the time uh, homosexuality a psychoanalytic study of male homosexuals published in 1962 by Irving Bieber really took a definitive position that homosexuality was the mental illness and a quote from that study, quote, pathological family constellations cause homosexuality, end quote, and actually claimed a cure rate for homosexuality of 27%, deeming that the cause of the homosexuality was an absent father or a domineering mother. <clears throat> Now that's a heck of a claim. So another psychologist, C.A. Tripp, actually asked Bieber to produce one of his quote-unquote cured patients. Bieber never produced such a patient and instead filed a complaint with the ethics board against Tripp. The complaint was eventually dropped and to this day not a single one of Bieber's patients has ever been found. Such a large claim in that study proved to be shit. But now the theme is sort of there, right? Homosexuality is abnormal and that being so, it can be cured. And the trajectory continued. In 1995, Dr. Charles Saccharides published Homosexuality, A Freedom Too Far where he took the stance of a lot of his predecessors that homosexuality was abnormal and that it needed to be cured. And actually, there's a very interesting YouTube clip, Dr. Charles Saccharides' Gay Marriage Debate of 1974. You should go listen to it. It's fascinating. And they ask him about gay marriage and what he thinks about gay marriage. And he says, I think it'll be a problem because no homosexual can stay with just one person. He had this idea that being homosexual, you had an emptiness and you were trying to fill it by this void by trying to find out who you were and attributed it all to bad child rearing. And he has this bizarre theory about Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, the cannibal serial killer who was a homosexual and had this idea that he ate people because he wanted to incorporate them into himself because of his homosexuality. Now, he didn't say all homosexuals were psychotic. He just said that Dahmer was a very specific kind of homosexual. And Dr. Saccharides also boasted like a 35% cure rate. And when asked, can you produce any of these people? He wasn't able to do so. And he asked, why couldn't he convert everybody? And he said it was because some were so entranced in the homosexual lifestyle that they just couldn't be changed. There was another group that moved away, so he didn't have enough time with them. Uh, but the interesting thing is his son, Richard Saccharides, was gay and just happened to be, as an adult, Bill Clinton's senior advisor for public liaison for gay and lesbian issues. So just again, interesting, just like Freud, somebody very near and dear to him was a homosexual and they were delving into it with sort of these explanations for why this was the case. And actually, just as recently as 2012, I want to say, there was a group in New Jersey 
crazy. Jonah, it was Jews offering new alternatives for healing, was claiming to have this conversion therapy where they could ungay you, if you will. And there was a big lawsuit filed against them. And I think they were ordered to pay something like $74,000 back to the plaintiffs and cover them for any costs for real therapy because what they were peddling was bullshit. All right. Part five of five of our sort of audio topsy of Jay-Z's track Smile on the 444 album, where we left off with sort of the accepted emerging theory in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that homosexuality was a mental illness. And it's important to keep in mind that a lot of even gay activists in the mid-1900s accepted this illness model as an alternative to the societal condemnation of it being immorality more than it was illness. And they actually worked with doctors to try to find a cure for their affliction. But in the 50s and 60s, 60s, there was also doctors who were fighting to have homosexuality decriminalized because they were saying, hey, if we're going to call it a mental illness, then it shouldn't be a crime. Because for those of you who don't know, homosexuality as recent as 1972 was considered a crime. Yep, it was considered illegal in 49 states in the year 1972. And it was right around this time in the 1950s that sexology started to emerge in the research. And as they crunched numbers and reviewed studies, they started to realize that sexology research was more scientific than psychology research. And what sex research was showing in the modern era of sex research was that homosexuality was a normal variant of the human sexuality. You know, and the analogy used was handedness. Simply because they're a minority of people who use their left hand, it doesn't mean that it's not normal. And you know, there was a time that children who wrote with their left hand were forcibly made to use their right hand because it was considered abnormal. And right around in the mid 50s, uh, Alfred Kinsey published the Kinsey Report. And the Kinsey Reports were detailed interviews with thousands of people about their sexual practices. And these were non-patients. These were non-psychiatric patients. And what they found through those studies was, was that there was a high rate of homosexuality. And I think the study quoted something like somewhere between 10 and 37%. And that's a huge number. I think more modern research points more towards about 1% to 2.5%. But the study also showed that this type of question was hard to study because the results depended so much on how the question was actually asked. But nonetheless, the research proved to show that homosexuality was nothing more than a normal human variant. And in 1957, Evelyn Hooker produced a study that compared 30 non-patient homosexual men and 30 heterosexual controls. And they used a projected test that isn't used very much anymore, but the idea was to develop a psychological makeup of the people involved in the study. Then she got three judges to go over the results, and they found that there was no no measurable difference in any of the metrics they used to find any significant difference between the two groups. And these results were important because they were at odds with the prevailing dominant psychiatric psychological analytic theory of the time, which was that being a homosexual was not just a sexual disturbance, it was a global disturbance of mental function. That's to say that homosexual patients were not just sexually disturbed, they were completely disturbed. And the study proved otherwise. And the cool thing about this study is it was actually reproducible, which was groundbreaking at the time. So at this time, you have a lot of speaking out against these sorts of things. And there was the Stonewall riots in 1969. 
And then actually in 1970, there was this movement from within the American Psychiatric Association to remove homosexuality as a diagnosis because in the DSM, which is, you know, quote unquote, the Bible of diagnoses in psychiatry, and it affects everything from billing, what insurance considers a real disease to what psychiatry considers a real disease. And at the time, it's also important because there was growing criticism of psychiatric diagnoses in general as being totally socially constructed and not a real science, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because it isn't technically a science. Medicine isn't a science, right? It's an applied science. So they wanted it removed from that, or at least they were having thoughts of talking about it. In 1973, the APA board decides to remove homosexuality out of the DSM. And although I think it was a politically charged environment at the time, a lot of the reason for the decision probably had to do with a speech given by a one Dr. H. Anonymous. And the doctor was actually a gentleman named John Fryer. And John Fryer was homosexual in 1972, a doctor, psychiatrist, whom decided to take the stage and speak at the American Psychiatric Association conference as an openly gay physician. Well, keep in mind, at the time, he could have lost his medical license. He could have lost his job and he could have been shunned, obviously. The interesting thing is, if you get a chance to look it up, if you type in Dr. Anonymous into Google, you'll see a picture of him on the stage reading his message. And he's wearing this mask and it's a pretty creepy mask. And I've always wondered why they chose that mask. I don't know. But if you get a chance, check it out. Because I think if you keep in mind that this is what an openly gay psychiatrist looked like in 1972, you start to understand the power of stigma and social norms and how it affects everybody's collective thinking. And I think Jay did a great job of pointing that out in this track. Remember, you're listening to Medicine Remixed only on Anchor.